0: Good afternoon. Welcome back to class number two, or week two of the fall term for uh, our Sunday school class. And today we're going to be talking, uh, continuing to talk about Acts, which we will be talking about for the next 19 weeks, including today. But uh, today we're going to be entering into the book of Acts itself. We'll be doing chapter one, and, uh, which sort of sets the stage for what is going to happen in Acts, uh, which is nothing more, as I mentioned last week, is nothing more than a continuation of the book, book of Luke. Uh, so we'll get started on that. I don't believe it's go- I'm going to take an excessive amount of time today. I hope not for your sake. Uh, I I should be able to get through this within the allotted 30 minutes with no problem at all. Before we get started, let me say prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity that you have given us to come and to to use this uh, opportunity to uh, speak words of your truth. Uh, Father, for those that uh, are unable to, or for all of us who are unable to to come to Sunday school now uh, like our our normal situation would be, so we use this, and we're thankful that you have provided this opportunity for us. Uh, We ask, O Lord, that uh, you would look... today look mercifully upon those which are down on the Mississippi and the Alabama and perhaps even the Florida uh, Gulf Coast as the storm is uh, offshore and is coming ashore now. We just pray Lord that uh, you will be merciful to those that uh, are living in those areas and that storm might come and pass and there will not be any significant loss of life or damage to property. Uh, We also uh, ask Father that you would be with uh, this country, the leadership of this country as it faces an unbelievably myriad a number of tasks and crises of one kind or another or at least uh, uh, things which uh, we have uh, specifically evil men have turned into crises and so Lord we ask that you would over superintend all of that and and you provide us with leadership will we'll help us to navigate these situations uh, and that we will come out as a stronger and certainly a better people for it. Uh, again now be with us as we look to your word of truth as we look to the book of Acts, uh, you witnesses to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, as I said, we're going to be in chapter 1. In chapter 1, uh, the beginning in Jerusalem. Uh, as you will remember, we talked last week a little bit about the last chapter in the book of Luke, uh, where he sort of gave the, uh, sort of a, a, a prologue. Uh, well, I guess it would be an epilogue to Luke, but it was a, a prologue for Acts. So let me read the first uh, couple of verses, and in, in, uh, the first three verses, as a matter of fact. Acts 1, 1 through 3. Uh, it says, The former account I made of Theopolis of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which He was taken up after He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom He had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So uh, Luke has has given a, a, a very similar prologue to the book of Acts that he gave in the book of Luke. If we turn over to the book of Luke, you'll see a very similar kind of an introduction to Luke. The first three verses there says, "...inasmuch as many have taken hand to set in order a narrative of these things, which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to you to us, delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theopolis, that you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed." One of the first things that you notice there in this prologue, of course, is the name Theopolis. Theopolis was a, a, a sort of a, uh, I guess, a mystery to many people, uh, both then and even now as we look at the scriptures. We look at Theopolis and we wonder, well, who was this person? Because he's mentioned only here in, uh, in Luke and in Acts, as a, but there's no identity, no, no information given about him. Most of the speculation, even though we don't know for sure, but most speculation is that Theopolis was a, a Roman official. He was a Gentile, he was a Roman official, and he obviously was a believer in Christ. And so it's, it's theorized anyway by, by commentators and historians, uh, religious historians, that Theopolis uh, became a benefactor for not only Luke, but perhaps for others uh, who were the apostles also. Obviously, somewhat a person of means who was able to provide not only the, the financial resources for, uh, for Luke and perhaps others to do uh, what they needed to do in, the, in, the, uh, in their apostleship. And so Luke is trying to keep this person abreast of what's going on in the development and the expansion of the new church. The other word that you see there in the very beginning is the word apostle. An apostle is just a—it's a Greek word which means commissioned one. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about apostles later on and exactly what constitutes apostles, and what does not. I think many, most of you will know that uh, uh, apostleships. Many people would contend that the the office of apostle uh, stopped at the end of the twelve apostles who were uh, Christ had commissioned himself to do. Uh, to be His witnesses to the world. The promise of the Father in Luke 24, 49-51, and also in Acts 1-4 through 4 and 5, if we look at those two verses, and, said, and here He says, "...and being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I, I can imagine, as you, as you might well imagine too, that there, there was a, a lot of anticipation, not only because of the things that have happened, but also because of uh, this thing that Christ had told them about that was going to happen, which he did not give them any, much specification in terms of what that was going to be. He told them that there was, obviously, he told them that uh, he had to leave, uh, but in order, for, in order for the comforter to come, the paracletus, um, in order for this comforter for, to come, the Holy Spirit, in order for him to come, Jesus had to depart. He had to ascend back to the Father. Pod- and the purpose, of course, was for to leave a, 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 an entity, if you will, a part of the triune God, to leave that person behind in order to empower the apostles in doing what they had to do. So this, this Holy Spirit was someone who was going to come and empower them to be all that they needed to be in order to not only develop but to expand the church and to withstand, of course, the opposition which was going to come against them. Uh, One of the words there that you you see, which uh, all of us are familiar with, is the word baptism. In the fifth verse, he said, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We we remember, of course, in in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, as he met John at the River of Jordan, and uh, uh, as he was baptizing, he was calling people to repent and be baptized, of course, that's one form of baptism. The baptism that, that uh, the Jewish people that were at that point in time familiar was. Baptism wasn't something that was strange. It was very much a part of the ritualistic part of the, of the Jewish religion. Uh, and so they, they had a ritual baptism, which the Jews had always participated in. And then along comes John, and he, his was not a ritual baptism, but a baptism of repentance, calling people to repent of their sins, turn away from the life that they were leaving, leading, and, and uh, to live holy lives. So there was a ritual baptism which was in place, and then John had put in place a repentance of uh, baptism. And then, of course, uh, Jesus comes along, and, and although Jesus never baptized anybody, uh, uh, the uh, apostles certainly did but there was this baptism of this they, they call it the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I'm sure that they were probably very interested to know exactly what does that mean because again Jesus did not get, elaborate on what that would meant but they were going to be baptized with this power that he had told them was going to be coming to them. So and, this, and then obviously when the Christian baptism came along, when the apostles started to baptize people, they baptized them not only as a part of the Jewish ritual uh, to include what they did there with water and also with John, they were baptized not only as a, part of, as a ritual but also as a part of repentance and also they added this uh, as a part of their commitment to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it sort of encompassed all that had come before into the new Christian baptism. Looking in in, uh, Acts 1, 6, and 8, He says, Therefore when they had come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus is telling them, of course, in, in in answer to their query, which is kind of like, you know, you're on a long trip when you were small, ask, you kept asking your dad who was driving, or, or, or perhaps your mom, is, are we there then? Are we there when? And of course, the apostles were looking for that day, because in the back of their mind, they still had not fully assimilated the idea that Jesus uh, was going to go away, and that uh, when He went away, He was going to come back and establish His kingdom on earth. They didn't see this Jesus going away and staying away. Uh, they thought, as, and even as they said then, you know, the end is near. That was a common phrase. Even in the beginning of the early church, the end was near. And that's one of the reasons that they, they were so quick to begin to... to uh, Uh, collectively or communally use property and stay with one another and and share food and that kind of thing because their idea was that the kingdom of God was going to come back, Jesus was going to come back and establish his kingdom here on earth. And so they were very anxious for all of these things to get underway. And so they, are we there? Is the kingdom at hand? And of course Jesus gave uh, what he often did with the disciples. He gave something of an evasive answer. It's not, it's not for you to know. He didn't answer the question, although he, it was a legitimate question that they asked. He did not give them a, a straightforward answer to their query. Obviously, he, He's coming back, and He made that abundantly clear, and even the angels during His ascension made that abundantly clear. He's coming back, but He was not uh, coming back immediately to restore the, uh, the kingdom of Israel. What he did was to let them know what their function was going to be. As he said, that you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, the, the uh, obviously, m- most of you certainly know when he talks about uh, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, that those are all, okay, well, we know where those are. They're in some proximity to Jerusalem. So those, you're going to go out and be witnesses there. But uh, when he says to the end of the earth, uh, the vision that we would would have in our mind, well, he's going to go to every inhabited corner of the earth where there is a population and we're going to have mission trips there and that kind of a thing. Well, that's not entirely what he meant when he said to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth was a common uh, phrase that was used during that first century. But what it meant was the Gentile world. It didn't mean uh, all over the earth. It meant to the Gentile world, wherever that might be. That's what that to the ends of the earth meant. So what he was saying, you're going to be witnesses not for me, but of me. You're not going to go out and, and, and to be my employees, if you will, but you're going to go out and you're going to witness about who I am or who I was and who I am, and you're going to tell the world in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, what you saw and what you heard uh, with your own eyes, to be my witnesses. So it's not for me, but of me. You're going to talk about my life, my death, my resurrection, my exaltation, and of course, my ultimate. And and of course, the last thing that he told, told them there was about repentance again. So that's also going to be a part of the witnesses that we must, or you must repent in order to ultimately to become a part of my kingdom. And the last thing there in, in this particular section that, that he talked about in Jeru- is that Jerusalem. And why Jerusalem? Why did he want them to hold tight, sit tight in Jerusalem uh, until the Holy Spirit comes? Well, there were a number of reasons for that. One, of course, is that it was, it was approaching Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. And, of course, when one of the things, that's one of the three major it's the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Feast of... Okay, so I forgot right offhand. What was the third one? It, it just it escapes my memory. But anyway, I, I should have wrote that down. I can't let it lie. Where did, did I write it down? Maybe I did. I did not. Anyway, there are three major holidays, and of course what he wanted to do is when, when they had those major holidays, it was, in, it was incumbent upon all, especially all Jewish men to come to Jerusalem and attend temple services there uh, at the temple in Jerusalem. And so they were expecting thousands of people, if you will, to be in Jerusalem, and at least a part of that, the, the festivities leading up to Pentecost, also to, to be... Uh, there and to be at the, the temple every day and so forth and of course that's why one of the, the reasons that uh, he wanted to be there is because of the population and also what he had in store in terms of the Holy Spirit visiting those apostles during that time. The, of course the J- Jerusalem was a very significant uh, in, in, in terms of the Jewish life because it was the holy city of God. It was the, God, it was the city that God had chosen to be the, the seat of his kingdom when he comes again. Ray, Did you think of what that other feast was? I can't either. I, I, it bothers me. Okay. Continuing it in the ascension is on uh, Acts one nine through eleven. He says, "Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadily to, or steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel." who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so, so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. So there's, those are two very short, short verses. Uh, uh, as, as Jesus, even as He was speaking to His disciples, He started to ascend, if you will, or uh, be drawn heavenly up into a cloud, carried up into a cloud, and the cloud received Him. And as they saw him go, they stood there, obviously transfixed by the sight of what was happening, and also wondering what else was going to happen. And as they stood there, even after Jesus had disappeared into the cloud, uh, they stood there looking to see if anything else was going to happen. And of course, that's when the, the sight of the two men, who were dressed in white, they were angels, uh, spoke to them and said, why well, don't, why are you standing around here looking in the sky? You need to get on back to Jerusalem like he told you to. Uh, and he's going to come again in like manner now in other uh, in other parts of the gospel where they have the ascension talked about uh, one of the things it doesn't it does say is that uh, he doesn't he doesn't give them that the the idea that it's going to happen right away as a matter of fact the quite the contrary was true uh, what you see happening, He's going to come back, but it's not going to be any time soon. It's not, it's not like He's coming back tomorrow or the day after or the day after that. So there wasn't any expectation on the part of the disciples that uh, Christ was going to return immediately, although there still was that sense that the end was near. But uh, they had no idea that the near, near was as far away as it has been. Return to Jerusalem... That's what Christ had told them to do, to go back to Jerusalem and wait there. And that's exactly what they did. They left there. And it was about, uh, uh, oh, I guess from from where they were uh, to back to Jerusalem. was not a very far distance. And so they walked there in a relatively short period of time. They went back to uh, where this whole drama started. And that was to the upper room where the same house, the same upper room, what they had the the, uh, Last Supper in. Uh, Obviously, it was a very big room because uh, judging by the Scripture here, it talks about uh, verse 13, he says, "...and when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, and John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one, one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brothers." One of the, uh, as you can say, there were a number of people. At that time, uh, it was estimated that as many, and if you look into other Gospels and you see who were there in the upper room, there were about 120 believers that were in that upper room after Jesus had ascended. And they all came back, of course, quite excited, uh, quite, uh, I'm sure, confused. Uh, but at the same time, there was, I'm sure there was a lot of anticipation, a lot of joy, a lot of energy in that room. Uh, one of the things that uh, it, it's it's fascinating to to when you look at all of the people that were there and you try and identify them and what happened to them after that, uh, one of the things that's uh, many of them who were in that room went on to be mentioned in other books of the uh, of scripture uh, later uh, that to be included not only in Paul's epistles but uh, in other places too uh, and, and and playing parts in this development and expansion, of this new faith but there were also some people there who uh, were never mentioned again uh, perhaps the most significant of whom was Mary the mother of Jesus her name was mentioned as being in the upper room uh, his, his brothers were there also of course they, they played a significant role in the further in the development and the expansion of the kingdom uh, but Mary was never mentioned again in all of Scripture just as being there present uh, in the upper room there, and of course, <clears throat> what they did was to pray they were They were uh, continually in prayer, uh, praying not only for the coming of the Holy Spirit but also uh, praying to be of one mind in this new. Uh, uh, you, you might refer to it as an adventure this new undertaking this new commission by God, by christ himself of what their life was going to be like and certainly in the near future and perhaps even in the distant future and of course they had no idea what the distant future was going to hold for them now one of the main things that they had to do and of course uh, uh, they felt like they had to do it was to replace judas who had, of course, been uh, uh, had some some folks would or, or some uh, in commentaries would say Judas hanged himself. Uh, scripture seems to to indicate anyway that that somehow in this field of blood that he was uh, found in that he had somehow the, all of the evil inside him had burst he had burst open and uh, he laid in uh, in the field. Uh, so there's a, there's a little bit of confusion about exactly what transpired with Judas in terms of after he left uh, the Garden of Gethsemane and where he went after that and uh, then what his ultimate demise was. But, but, but it's safe to, to say that, that Judas had, had a very uh, unenviable uh, demise there. But anyway, there was, there was a, a lot of energy about replacing him as soon as possible. Uh, one, of course, was because Peter thought it was necessary, and Peter had emerged, uh, if you will, as the leader of the apostles. He was referred to as the apostle to the Jews, uh, certainly had a lot of, carried a lot of weight with all of the other apostles, and so he just uh, became the, not only the spokesman, but the but uh, and I, I w- w- certainly wouldn't say self-proclaimed, but his his leadership began to take hold of all of the other apostles. And you will remember that Jesus, that Peter himself was given by Christ the keys to the kingdom. Uh, I, I know that for uh, for a long time in, in my early uh, life, I I, I I just never could come to grips with that keys to the kingdom. Uh, you know, what, what exactly was Jesus giving to Peter when he gave him the authority to exercise the keys to the kingdom? And of course, what that meant, and I discovered later on, is, is that what he was doing was he's, he was giving to Peter the authority to be the mediator over the new people who were coming into the kingdom. And of course we had the Jews who were coming and it talks about that in Acts 2, about the Jews who were accepted into the kingdom and then those the Judeans and the Samarians and at chapter 8 is when they were given uh, sort of the the, the uh, authority by Peter to come into the kingdom and then ultimately in the 10th chapter again the Gentiles were accepted. So Peter is the one who received these new pioneer groups into the kingdom of God and uh, one of the things that happened in, in Acts 10:44, just as soon as the, the authority has been given for Gentiles to be accepted into this new Christian faith, is that there was a, a sign from heaven, uh, a confirmation by the Holy Spirit that what had been done had been done in, names of, in the name of giving the keys to the kingdom and that they had been awarded as, as uh, God had, and in Christ had, had expected that they would be. And so Peter was given affirmation by the Holy Spirit for the work that he had done there. But anyway, Peter was, he certainly was the, the mover and the shaker on making sure that they elected someone or found someone to replace Judas. Now, there, there was a very, the selection process was a simple one, uh, but the criteria for being selected was not necessarily uh, a simple one. And the, the basically, the criteria was is that <coughs> If you were going to be selected as an apostle, you had to be someone who was with Jesus from the very first time he began his ministry until he ascended into heaven. That means you would have had to been with him when he was baptized by John. You would have had to been with him when he performed all of his miracles and all you know and all of the places he went and all the significant events that he he was, uh, uh, did things in. So you had to be an eyewitness to Jesus from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry. Uh, as you might imagine, uh, although there were many people uh, who probably were regular followers of Jesus, uh, there were very few people uh, who could say, I was there at the beginning and I was there at the end. As a matter of fact, there were only two people uh, who, who the apostles determined to be uh, able to meet that basic criteria. That fundamental criteria of having been there from the very beginning to the very end, and and was as a witness to Christ and His ministry. One of them was Joseph, uh, who was had a he was also called Barsabbas, who was which means son of the Sabbath, and then the, the other one was Matthias. Uh, Matthias is an interesting individual. He's kind of like, you know, you, you see a lot of. Uh, you, you hear a lot of, about people in church. You know, you know them. You know exactly who they are. Uh, and they're just about at everything. You know, at Family Night Supper, they're at church every Sunday. That You know, if there's a, uh, any sort of a special event, they're always there. But they just don't make a lot of fuss. And that's kind of like Matthias was. Matthias was there for the whole thing, uh, the whole nine yards. But Matthias wasn't one of those people who really stood out as being being exceptional or different or in some way outstanding but he met the criteria and then of course the the, the other part was that Peter had decided and the apostles agreed that they would select that third, that 12th apostle by casting lots which was a very common thing to do it almost you know we might call it drawing straws or it might be uh, you know you pick a pick a number between one and three or whatever it might be and, and, but that's theirs was casting lots and what, G- what he did was to, they, they either had two stones, and I, and I didn't see anywhere where they definitively said exactly how it happened. But anyway, as they cast lots, their idea was, their premise was, that whoever God wanted to be was going to win. Uh, it wasn't going to be somebody that God didn't want to win. And so they put two stones, one of them to represent Matthias, one of them to represent Joseph, put them in a can, shake them up, threw them out on the ground. Well, they probably didn't have cans. They maybe put them in a clay jar, but they threw them on the ground. And of course, Matthias is the one who won. Uh, again, uh, he was one of those people that you never heard from again. He was he he was never heard from again in terms of scripture. Matthias just sort of blended into the background. I'm sure he was there. I'm sure he particip- participated in the in the. Uh, Uh, development and the expansion of the church but again he wasn't one of those people who caught the attention of the writers of the other uh, books of the new testament so his name did not appear again Uh, there were there were some people and and of course even today i'm sure there are people who who wanted to know well why why couldn't they have chosen paul paul was chosen an apostle later on or he became an apostle later on based upon his experience with christ uh, on the road to damascus but he was not qualified based upon the restrictive criteria that was originally established by Peter for choosing the twelfth apostle. And finally, let me, let me read very quickly here these, these last few verses for the process that took place. I should have done that, but I, I did not. I was too anxious to, to talk about it. <coughs> In the sixteenth ver- verse, well, the 15th verse, and in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, which was, you know, if, he, if, if he's gone, replace him. In Psalms 41, 9, you can, you can read that uh, particular verse. Uh, For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. And of course, what, it, what Peter is saying there is, is that, you know, Jesus had initially wanted 12 disciples because he had work for 12 people to do. And those were the apostles that he had commissioned. And, and just because one of them has gone, uh, that doesn't lessen uh, that, 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 that work that that person was to do uh, still needs to be done. So we need to elect someone else. That position needs to be fulfilled. So this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and he goes on and talks about uh, Judas and how he died. I'm going to skip down to 20, 21. Therefore, these men who have accompanied us all this time, accompanied us all this time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So that John, uh, Peter just thought it was absolutely necessary that they have 12 people that could could validate uh, not only the, 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 the uh, baptism but the, the life of Christ from that point on up until the time he was uh, ascended and was exalted by God. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression failed, that he might go to his own place, which he did. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So that, that ended that, uh, that initial beginning, if you will, uh, after that point point in time they begin uh, to formulate exactly how they were going to go out and minister uh, but even then Peter was still the, the dominant personality and they were still in Jerusalem and would be for the next two years the only as as you come to the end of chapter one in acts there there's certain things that that sort of you you know that you you sort of Visualize in terms of the beginning of any faith. Uh, first of all, uh, that the tomb is empty. Uh, most of the world religions that we are familiar with, whether they be Buddhist or whether they be Shinto or whether they be a mo- a Muslim or whether they be something else, uh, as as there's an old gospel song that says, "You know, the the tomb is empty." Well, the tomb is empty. These are the the things that we celebrate on on Easter morning. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. The church is commissioned. The work is begun. And by all means, Jesus is coming back again. And so as we leave chapter 1 and we prepare to go in chapter 2, uh, when, the, when the real work begins, especially, and as, as the vernacular is of, of, uh, around today, and you hear it often said, you know, uh, sometimes you'll hear people say, things are about to get real. And they were about to get real for the apostles there in Jerusalem and certainly with, with Peter, who will, who will be the, the main topic of our lesson next week let me close with prayer gracious father we do give you thanks again for the truth of your word uh true to yesterday today and tomorrow and we thank you father that you revealed these things to us uh, for our edification for and, and also for our uh, passing along to others so that they too might hear and understand the truth and so, Father, we thank you again for the time today. We thank you for Ray to be here to to, to video. We thank you, uh, Lord, that that uh, Kyle is back at school and he's doing well. And and for all these things, we give you thanks and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.